Here we are at the end of this mini-series from the Sports Acupuncture Alliance. I've got one more interview for you, this one with Matt Callison. I think you're going to enjoy it. Again, much appreciation to the Sports Acupuncture Alliance and to LASA OMS for their support in creating this opportunity to bring you this unique series. Let's jump in now and have a discussion with Matt. These geological conversations come to you through the generous support of our sponsors and members. All the sponsors here provide helpful products or services that you'll find beneficial in your clinical work. Need to fill up the appointments created by late cancellations? Jane can help with that problem. Mayway Herbs is celebrating the 55th year of their family business. You're invited to make use of their vast library of resources. Concerned about the health of Mother Earth? AccuFast Needles is doing something about that. You can too. And later in the show, listen for a special offer from Andrew Sturman on diet as medicine and the folks at Blue Poppy share some thoughts on the safety of herbal medicine. Do be sure to visit the sponsors page on the Geological website to take advantage of all the special offers our terrific sponsors have for listeners of the podcast. Hi folks, I'm Yvonne Lau, president of Mayway Herbs. Our family business turns 55 this year, and we wouldn't have gotten this far without the love and support of our community. We're truly grateful and promise you that we'll continue to work hard to support you and your practice. Please visit mayway.com to find the perfect plum flower brand formula or formulate your own in our dispensary. Our site also has lots of articles, videos, and herbal recipes for you to explore whenever you need a break. And tune into our podcast, Chinese Medicine Matters, for insightful discussions on all things TCM. Learn about treatment strategies and powerful herbal remedies, and enjoy bits of Chinese culture. This month, we're focusing on the treatment of various skin concerns like itchy skin and stubborn acne. And if you're a practitioner, get a discount on our skin health formulas this month too. Just visit Meiwei.com. This season and every season, trust Meiwei for your health and wellness needs. And as always, thanks for supporting Real Chinese Medicine. Change is never easy. This is evidenced by the fact that the scales weighing the number of people on the green side of change versus the number of people on the old, hard-on-the-planet ways of doing things are still way out of balance. Our planet is suffering, but our profession has an easier way to shift the scales. The founders of AccuFast Earth-Friendly Needles started with a great needle and then created our industry's first eco-friendly packaging and reusable accessories. They also give back to nature by planting trees. I encourage you to challenge yourself to make the change. Ride the wave of spring yang chi and make the switch by joining me and the multitude of colleagues who made the change. Now you can celebrate Earth Month in April with pride knowing that you are helping us to tip the scales of planetary health towards a greener, healthier, and healing planet. Visit www.acufastneedles.com to get on board. You've probably already heard me here on the podcast share about Jane, my favorite all-in-one practice management software that helps you to run your practice online and manage no-shows. The team at Jane understands that life happens, and sometimes that means your patients are unable to make their scheduled appointment. If that's the case, a quick and easy way to fill those unexpected gaps in your day is by utilizing Jane's time-saving waitlist management features. 
you can take advantage of automated SMS text or email notifications to notify eligible waitlisted patients that there's an opening so they can easily scoop up in available time. If you know you're ready to sign up, you can mention the show or use the code CHEOLOGICAL for a one-month grace period on your new Jane account. Visit jane.app to get started today. You guys have probably heard of Matt Callison, so I'm not going to go into too many details about this cat. Uh, Matt, welcome to Geological. Hello, Michael. Thank you for having me. It's great to be, great to be here with you. I appreciate it. Hey, I'm a little curious. What got you started on all, on all this stuff anyway? This stuff being what? This stuff being, well, acupuncture, first of all. What, what drew you to acupuncture? And secondly, what drew you to the sports acupuncture? Well, I started off as, uh, as an athletic trainer in, uh, from San Diego State University, getting my, my undergraduate degree in physical education and emphasis in sports medicine and going, studying toward um, athletic training. And then I was a little disenchanted where I was going with my education. And even though I loved the rehabilitation aspect of it in every single part of diagnosing musculoskeletal injury and the mechanics of musculoskeletal injury, where I was going actually as an athletic trainer in the job form was not very attractive. So I sold everything that I had except for my surfboard and a backpack. And I went to Australia. <laughs> that sounds like a good idea. It was great. You know, it was great. There was nothing holding me back. And so, um, still involved in sports medicine and, and still intrigued about how sports medicine works, loving, loving, uh, surfing and loving baseball and just kind of a, a sports jock myself. I wanted to end up staying in Australia cause I loved it there and met a man in Perth, Western Australia, mm -hmm. that was a physio. They don't have athletic trainers down there. Um, that was a physio that was practicing this voodoo called acupuncture. Uh -huh. Now, this was in 1992 when this occurred. And so, actually, no. We have to take that back to probably 1990. Yeah, so... He planted the seed for me. I, was, I watched how he was able to get people out of pain, how he was able to put needles into people and change range of motion and change um, different aspects of that musculoskeletal injury. So he's the one that really planted that seed for me. So then on my way back to uh, San Diego, my hometown, I ended up visiting a friend and uh, was only going to stay for four days, but ended up teaching at the massage school there and stayed in Maui for about a year and a half. And so I taught and learned massage and always was thinking about the acupuncture and I checked out the acupuncture school in Maui, but it just didn't quite seem like it was at the level that I wanted to go. Yeah. So it was great learning massage and learning how to be able to do structural integration and, and, uh, myofascial release techniques, but still always wondered about what is this, what is this thing? Mm -hmm. about putting needles in people mm -hmm. and, and manipulating and changing and, and changing the way people move. That was always intriguing for me. So I ended up going to school at Pacific College of Oriental Medicine. That's when it was one campus in San Diego, only four rooms. So it was a while ago. That was a while ago. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, actually, when I graduated from school, I didn't call on a cell phone because they weren't out yet. It was actually on a rotary phone. <laughs> yes. Uh, you dating yourself It here. gives you an eye, and that's okay. That's all right. Um, this life's been good. So because of my background in sports medicine 
and then it was just it was, an, it was a natural bridge to be able to apply traditional Chinese medicine with sports medicine, and that's something that I've been doing for the last thirty years, really. Yeah. So it, it sounds like you had this deep background, really understanding physiology, really understanding anatomy, how the body's put together, how it moves, how it connects, and you know how all that works with sports performance. Then you had a bit of a walkabout, ran into acupuncture. And, uh, and, and then you put these two together. I'm a little curious, and I suspect a lot of the listeners are a bit curious as well, about how the, I'm just going to use air quotes here, sports acupuncture, mm-hmm. how that is or is different than the kind of stuff that people learn in acupuncture school. Okay. Um, so if I'm understanding your question correctly, is uh, let's see if I can repeat this back, mm-hmm. is that... Is sports acupuncture taught in acupuncture schools? Ooh, I, no, I hadn't thought to ask the question that way. But, yeah, let's go with that one. I like it. Uh, most schools do not teach sports acupuncture because there's a certain curriculum that they, they need to be able to have taught in order for those students to be able to pass the state board examination. Right. There's, right. There, there's an exam that we all – there's a gate we have to walk through called That's, the national exam. Absolutely. Absolutely. So – um, some schools, though, are are emphasizing musculoskeletal type of orthopedic acupuncture. Mm-hmm. Uh, I created a class for Pacific College of Oriental Medicine uh, 16 years ago, and it's called Treatment of Orthopedic Disorders. And it's currently being taught at all three campuses. Mm-hmm. And other acupuncture schools are also are picking that up as well. So it's based on my work that I've put together over the last 30 years or so. And so... That is a required class, which is great, but not all schools are going to have that. Um, that that does bring me to a point, if you don't mind me going off on a little bit of a tangent, because orthopedic acupuncture and musculoskeletal type of acupuncture, where it's going in the U.S. right now, it's a little scary to me. Mm-hmm. Students are finding that just by putting acupuncture needles into muscles at certain areas, certain offshore points, it will make a dramatic effect in range of motion and manual muscle testing. But the traditional Chinese medicine student and probably the supervisors and some of the teachers as well are not emphasizing that every single musculoskeletal injury, every single orthopedic injury is going to have a Zongfu component. Mm-hmm. It's going to have a direct Zongfu component that either created the injury or let's say there's a professional athlete and their Zongfu signs and symptoms is pretty nil. You can still enhance how this person is going to rehab. Like you, it, part of traditional Chinese medicine is to look to see how well can this person handle the inflammation from the musculoskeletal injury. And so the TCM practitioner needs to be able to put their hat on that is musculoskeletal, figure out what that injury is, but at the same time, what can they treat liver, spleen, kidney, sanjiao? What can they be able to treat in order to be able to enhance the treatment? It's, uh, it's, it's something that's a little scary to me is, is, where, is where musculoskeletal acupuncture is going in the U.S. and not looking at the internal. Okay. So this actually does get back to my question, which is, how is the sports or orthopedic acupuncture different from like the TCM that we learn? And because a lot of people, you know, we get the TCM training and then there's often we don't get the results we're looking for. 
maybe it's not the right stuff. Maybe we just don't know it well enough, which I think is often the case. I, think that's, I agree. Yeah. I agree. It's and a lifetime so what study. What I hear you saying, even if we're dealing with something very, let's just say, meat suit level, there's a lot of other stuff going on, and we need to look at the deeper levels of the body. We need to, we need to know not only our anatomy and physiology, we need to know our Chinese medicine mm -hmm. and put those both together. Oh, absolutely. You know, because I can't tell you how many students that I have talked to that have come up and they've said that they're not either getting the results with the musculoskeletal treatment or they actually hurt the patient because they needle too deeply or too aggressively or they, they put the needles in and then they add electric stem without really examining the person's chi and blood levels first. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. doing, like, taking the tongue on the pulse and examining like who is this person with this injury. Right. Yeah, you don't want to be doing too much stimulation on somebody with blood deficiency. That's very true. And then some students will miss the target tissue. Um, some muscles or some points actually need to have a deep needle in order to create a certain effect, and some don't. And I think uh, the beauty of traditional Chinese medicine with the tongue and the pulse diagnosis and the questioning and looking at the person's shen, their spirit, is imperative to be able to have a successful musculoskeletal treatment. This is so delightful to hear you talking about this because often I hear a kind of polarization going on. It's like I do TCM or I, I do internal medicine or, oh, no, I just, I'm just working on... Uh, That's exactly what on, I'm talking on, about, on Michael, here. Yeah. is that it shouldn't be separated. It's, yeah. It, well, it's not separated. If we're really it's looking not. at the tenets of Chinese <laughs> medicine, right? No. Show me where the separation is. There isn't. There isn't. I've done uh, human cadaver dissection for over the last 30 years, a lot of them. And anybody who has done human cadaver dissection knows that every single cell is connected. Everything is connected along the interstitial fluids and the fascia, skin, all the way down to the toes. From kidney one to do 20, it's all connected. So you just can't separate that. So it's, it's important for... For those people that are just putting needles in people for lateral epicondylitis or knee pain, there's just so much more to that. And the reason why I know that is because I used to be one of those people. Mm -hmm. I used to be one of those people that I was getting such great results with uh, needling motor points, which I researched about 30 years ago and published some work on it in the year 2000 and such and found that it increases range of motion. And I just got very myopic. and and uh, started needling motor points on people's pain. And then after a while, what would happen is that I, mean, I was getting a lot of results were great, but about 30% of the, of the time, there was those cases that just did not respond to that. Mm -hmm. And I needed to look deeper, but I was so busy and, you know, I was in my forties and I was so cocky because things were going so well, you know, right. and, and you know, when you're doing 70%, pretty good it's pretty good you know, it's, yeah but i wanted that. more i well, wanted more and so that's what really brought me back into understanding and and studying the tcm and zongfu and the way that life works this is really funny mm -hmm. is that i ended up moving to new zealand and my entire practice 98 percent was menopausal women and that really forced me to get back into the Zongfu. How did that happen? Because Kiwi men, they will not get any kind of treatment unless their arm's falling off. And if their arm is falling off, they're going to be holding it and laughing all the way in. But Kiwi women, they have, you know, they take care of themselves, but the Kiwi, Kiwi men can't be bothered. You know, seriously. And that's, 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 that's a very serious story.
<laughs> that, that's a profound change. It was, but you know what is? It, it sounds like it woke you up in a way. It's full circle. It's full circle. And that's where I can be able to sit here right now and comfortably be able to say that every musculoskeletal injury is going to have a Zong Fu component. And if you don't treat that, you're not going to get long-lasting results with a majority of your cases. Okay. So this raises a question in my mind. Are there certain injuries, certain knee injuries or elbow injuries, whatever, certain injuries that are sort of emblematic of a particular Zong Fu issue that I can't go that superficial with it. Mm -hmm. I can't, if I'm understanding you correctly, Michael is to be able to say that lateral epicondylitis will be, will be associated with a certain type of Zong Fu. Right. Right. Okay. Well, we, we could go ahead and say, because that's going to be large intestine channel, that if the large intestine organ itself is, is diseased or has pathology, then it's going to be reflected in the channel, which does happen, Mm -hmm. which does happen. But I can't say that every case or a majority of cases of lateral epicondylitis is going to have a large intestine or even lung uh, symptomology. It's 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 not that simple. It's not that simple. I so mean, we, a, we really have to use all the tools we have available that we learned in school. To and more. Really look at the, and more. What and, other what other tools would you suggest? What uh, other, oh when you gosh. say and more, what are you referring to here? Well, continue to study traditional Chinese medicine by by researching the classics has a lot of information. By learning and studying with the scholars, the academics in traditional Chinese medicine that we have afforded to us today. I mean, we just lost a giant, unfortunately, with Giovanni. Mm-hmm. You know, that was very sad. But there are some incredible speakers out there that share their experience. Um, that are are TCM and Zongfu oriented, and I think it's important to continue to to uh, study and research with these people. Now, when you can be able to apply that aspect then to what a, a lifetime study and art and skill of musculoskeletal treatments and assessment, then you've got a pretty good package with that. And personally, I feel like I'm still an infant with it, with how much there is to learn. There's just so much to learn. It's it's a lifetime of study. It, it's totally endless. <laughs> it really is. I mean, it really is. Yeah, mm-hmm. the, the the Chinese have one of these Cheng Yu's, you know, four character mm-hmm. things that basically says the sea of knowledge is endless. There's no horizon. Actually, the sea of knowledge has no horizon. Yeah. 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 That's very good. I like that. Hang on, I've got this question just sitting in the back of my mind. It's, it's percolating, it's percolating. percolating. <laughs> <laughs> I so appreciate this conversation. This is uh, this is this is a little unexpected. You know, we all have our expectations. I'm coming to a sports acupuncture conference. I'm going to really listen to people talking about the meat suit. And here we are <laughs> talking about yeah, it's really important, and we've got all these other things. That it's absolutely connected to. Oh, I know what the question is. Here it comes. Here it comes. So I'm thinking about athletes, and often when I think about athletes, I think about these sort of rarefied individuals. They're very focused. They train hard. You know, they pay a lot of attention to their body and their motion and their sport and, you know, whatever it is that they're doing. I'm wondering if you notice them healing differently. Oh, absolutely. Than, than the general public. And, and in what ways do you see them healing differently and why? Oh, much faster, much, much faster. Uh, professional athletes heal very quickly uh, because their sheen blood is really quite clean. Mm-hmm. And they are so in tune with their, with their body mm-hmm. that their proprioceptive systems 
are so in tune mm-hmm. that the acupuncture needle can make wonders with that proprioceptive system very simply. It's less needles with, with a professional athletes. Prognosis is usually cut by a third if half compared to the general public. Um, their diet is really clean. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's really quite easy to be able to get um, results with professional athletes. Hello, everyone. Andrew Sturman here. I've been working with clients in Chinese medicine dietary therapy for over two decades in New York City. My focus is beautiful, simple, delicious, and health-supportive home cooking. Good meals can be inspired by the strategies of classic herbal formulas so that each meal is infused with medical intention from appetizer to dessert. This requires an understanding of the energetic properties of grains, vegetables, meats, fruits, and more, and knowing which foods are moistening, drying, building, clearing, warming or cooling, as well as their directionality. I've organized these teachings in my two-volume book series, Welcoming Food, where you can learn this theory, practice it in your own kitchen, and love doing so. See the positive reviews and incredible testimonials from practitioners and patients who've brought this material into their own kitchens. Welcoming Food Books 1 and 2 can easily be found online, and if you'd like to follow me on Instagram, where I'll be posting cooking tutorials, you can find me at Welcoming Food. Back to you, Michael. Thanks very much. When you talk about their chi and blood being cleaner, and you talk about, and when I hear you say their proprioceptive sense is more enhanced, and of course that would make sense for any, any athlete, it makes me wonder if there's an element of their shen that is also different. I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm thinking if you have really good proprioception, your self-awareness is probably a bit different than the average person walking down the street. That's true. I mean, the shen's always going to be looked at, right? So with, with professional athletes, their amount of focus and how they've trained themselves, that is part of the discipline that they have, right? So they've got a huge incentive to get better fast mm-hmm. because most professional athletes, depending on the sport, are making some pretty good income. Right. So and, they, and they've got a limited shelf life. That's correct. That's really correct. Yeah, so it's it's something they have a lot of incentive to get back onto the field. Mm-hmm. Okay, you were mentioning that you've come full circle in uh, in the medicine. I love the story about going to New Zealand and treating mostly menopausal women. It's it, it's so funny how life will give us such surprises at times. I'm wondering what else you've changed your mind about in in terms of acupuncture over the past 15 years. Oh, that's interesting. Hmm. <clears throat> I wish I had some more time to be able to think about that because, I mean, it's been it's been a while. It's been a lot of years of uh, practicing acupuncture, and I think I think there was a time where I was extremely myopic, and the way that I treated was the best way of treating musculoskeletal injuries. And the way that I was treating actually increased range of motion better than anything else. Mm-hmm. And that is just so far from the truth. And so, again, full circle, realizing that, you know, that Japanese acupuncture is profound in what it can be able to do. And so soft. It's so, yeah, absolutely. You know, so there's also even uh, uh, hands-on healing. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's, uh, there, there are so many different aspects of the acupuncture is 
uh, Korean hand acupuncture works really well. The uh, Japanese acupuncture works really well. And it's, it's just for changing my mind, I think what it is just to be able to see that the way that I practice is the way that I understand. And so for me to be able to understand, then I can be able to apply that clearly to the patient. And the way that I'm doing it is not better than anybody else. It's just the way that I understand it. The way I practice is the way I understand that. <laughs> Thank you. You're welcome. I'm, that's... I'm not completely sure what that means yet. But, you know, sometimes you hear something and it just kind of lands and you go, oh, this is something to unpack. And, and it won't get unpacked in a couple of days or a couple of weeks even. You know, I might have to hash that out a little bit. I might have to hash that out a little bit. Well, <laughs> let the ex and let our experience hash it out. True. Right? I mean, mm -hmm. the particular view we have of the world mm -hmm. very much determines what we actually see in the world. And as our particular perspective changes, there's more that we can see. Hopefully more ways that we can help people as well. That's the common goal. You know, that is the common goal. And I think that's really what separates the successful practitioner to the people that are just getting by mm -hmm. is, um, is, is really, how much do you really want to help that person? Because if you really want to help that person, you get back into the books. You're mm -hmm. researching. You're asking questions. You're always you – know, life is a mentor. You always have mentors. I mean, it's a great <laughs> idea. Just keep asking questions. Mm -hmm. You know, I've got this case, this, that, this, out. Have you ever had this before? Just keep asking questions. And so I think all practitioners should never rest on their laurels, which we all do at certain points in their time. But it's – at least in my life, when I start resting on my laurels, life has a way of kicking me in the arse. You, oh, my God. <laughs> It, I don't know any of us, anyone that I've talked to that's been at this for any length of time. There is that developmental place we go through where it's like, you know what? I'm not too bad at this. Right. And it's like, I kind of have this dialed in. Right. That gets really dangerous. Uh, as soon as you like, start thinking that you got it all figured out, <laughs> life is going to kick you right in the caboot. At least that's my experience. You know, it's been my—it's totally been my experience too. People come in these <laughs> days and they go, "Hey, Michael Max, thank you. You got rid of my back pain," and it's like, I need to be very careful with that. Yeah, absolutely. Because if I think I got rid of their back pain, it's not going to help either of us. Yeah, you know, we're just conduits. Mm. You know, we study a lot, and in my mind, we are conduits to be able to help that person. Is and and it's not really us. That might be getting out there for some people that's listening to this, but well, you know, it's, you know it's, it's really not, it's not us. It's not it's, us. And yet there is an element of us that has to be fiercely present for it to be effective. That's true. That's very true. It's a bit of a contradiction. Well, we are the applicators, but then who's, who's, when you're, when you're, <laughs> here's a good one. So when you're developing a treatment plan or protocol, and you have a new patient, you're trying to think, okay, do I have this diagnosis correct? What point should I go ahead and use? And you're thinking and you're going back into the academics. Is that really all you? Is that really all your voices that are coming in? Or could there possibly be something else whispering in your ear? Some people are going, what is he talking about, right? <laughs> but hey, I believe in spiritual guides. I believe in angels. I believe in helping that person or whatever I need to be able to do or think or believe to be able to help that person. It gets me out of the way. Mm -mm. I ask for help mm -mm. in the clinic room. Who's there to help? Is it just me? I don't think so. 
Yeah, you're curious that we have to get out of the way to. Uh, you got to get out of to, to find a way. That's right. You got to get it and listen. What voices actually come in? What thoughts come in? Are those all your thoughts? I think it's kind of a little selfish to think that. That's madism. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, when you say listen, I think about the Chinese character for listen. And in the way that the traditional character is written, it's made up of several components. It's made up of an ear. It's made up of eyes. And it's made up of heart. Mm. And that's how you listen. You know what? I think I would probably cheers these microphones with that's perfect, what you just said. <laughs> I mean, it's just one of those interesting things in the language that, uh, and in the simplified characters, you don't see it. It's just a mouth to an ear, yeah. which is often the way we think listening is, but it, it actually include, it includes we're what you were talking. just talking yeah, about. Yeah, the heart pericardium. The heart pericardium, that communication piece, so important. Yeah. So you've been at this 30-some-odd years. Well, no, I, I, I've been licensed for 26. Okay. But as far as, like, putting it all together, it's been 30-some years. It's been 30-some-odd. You've been at it a while. You know, one of the things that people often go to conferences for is because they, they want to learn to get better at what they're doing. They want to have a successful practice. And, uh, and in fact, you know, there's uh, – well, actually, by the time this airs, there will, we will have had a roundtable discussion on, on, you know, getting a – sports acupuncture practice up and going. And I think it's really important to focus on the things that need to be focused on to, you know, to get your practice successful. So you, so you can do your work, you can do your art. But the thing that gets you started and successful in your first, let's say, five to 10 years is not what's going to keep you going at the 25 or 30 year mark. There's something else that happens. And I think I heard you mentioning this, that you had a certain way that you were working. You, you land in New Zealand, life reconfigures itself. We're sitting here in San Jose right now, California, having this conversation, and you're talking about the importance of reading the classics and going back to you know, knowing your fundamentals, knowing your Chinese medicine, in addition to your orthopedics. So this isn't a question about technique. This is a question about development as a practitioner. What is it that, after 25 years of doing this, is the thing that keeps you going and the next thing to work on? It's passion. It's passion. It's, it's the pure joy of developing techniques um, from ideas that usually when you get ideas, it's coming from somebody else's ideas, and then you take that idea, and then you be able to evolve that idea, and then you start putting it into some kind of practical manner, and then all of a sudden, that practical technique starts to work. That's really exciting to me, developing different needle techniques or, or uh, different treatment protocols that can be used. So I think, I think having the passion to develop different things and then apply it to the public and then it works and then the patient is out of pain and they're able to get back to their activities of daily living and they look you in the eye and they say thank you that to me is better than payment and then you get paid we got to get paid right we, we have to get paid but otherwise we don't get to do the but work. to get results and to apply the results to assess a, a, a condition and then apply the treatment plan and protocol and then see the results mm -hmm. is really something that's fantastic. Now, um, there is a common thread between 
day one of getting your license and seeing your very first patient to 30 years later. And in my mind, that is managing your patient's health care. That's not taught in acupuncture schools. And there are some practitioners that are brilliant at it, and there's some practitioners that really need some help with it. So when you say managing a patient's health care... Making the patient accountable for taking their herbs, making the patient accountable for doing their particular exercise, um, giving them homework to do, um, having them bring a dietary log in that they're doing. You're managing their health care instead of just applying a treatment Then I'll see you next week. Mm-hmm. No, it's like based on your experience... How many treatments is it going to take to be able to have this case of lateral epicondylitis come in? So do I want to treat this person twice a week for two weeks and then I expect 60% improvement? I mean, having some kind of prognosis I think is going to be very important and that's part of managing the person's health care. That leads to success. Yeah. yeah. So, so I hear what I hear you saying is taking a very active role, not just you're here for your treatment, I'm going to do your treatment, Whatever you do with your life, you know, good luck. You're getting involved in it. Get real involved in it. So what do you do with the patients that don't take their herbs or... Don't do their uh, exercises. Don't do, don't do their exercises or, or eat the things they know that are going to cause them trouble. Well, I mean, if... I mean, I've seen plenty of patients who they know if they eat glutinous types of things and because they have a sensitivity, their joints are going to be really, really painful. And yet they make those choices. So usually with those kind of cases... If they're getting results, there's not much I can really be able to say. Like if they come in and they have a certain pain that's on a scale of 1 to 10 and it's a 10 and you treat them twice and now they're down to a 1 but they're still eating the wheat gluten, there's not really a whole lot that you can be able to say other than that's really not that good for you. Right, But if that person's coming in and they have a pain, a scale of 10, you treat them a couple of times and then it's at an 8, well, I mean that's where you just have to kind of hit them in the wallet and just say... You know, how many times do you want to come back and see me and pay me this money when you're handicapping me? And I'm treating you basically with one hand tied behind my back. How, how much do you want to get out of pain? And that's where you start getting into the person's spirit. You know, that's where you start questioning them. Like, do you need this pain? Mm-hmm. You know, why? Well, well now that's, I had never thought about it from that point of view. Do you, what is this pain doing for you? Yeah, ask a patient. Though. It has to be appropriate. Well, yes. well, yeah. <laughs> it has to be appropriate. But, I mean, that's – some people really have to think about that one. That there might be a function for the dysfunction. And you need to uncover that as well. Yeah. They have pain somewhere else in their life. And – and so that musculoskeletal injury is really bugging them the more and more that they're having that other pain in their life. Uh, let's say my partner's a pain in the ass. Well, they come in with a gluteal strain. My boss is a pain in the neck. They come in with a neck problem. They're shouldering the world, mm-hmm. right? They don't have a foot to stand on. I mean, all of those. I mean, if you read Louise Hay, Right? God bless her soul. If you read Louise Hay, she was really on to it. You know, there's a lot of things that she said that, that she noticed from her own practice that I think were really actually very true. Two basic misconceptions stand in the way of people feeling comfortable using Chinese herbal medicine, even as they were feeling more positive about acupuncture. 
They are concerned about safety as herbal medicine is an unregulated industry and feel herbs are not effective to treat most conditions. Blue Poppy is committed to meeting all FDA safety regulations. All of their herbal products contain minimal or no filler to maximize potency and efficiency. Their granules are carefully manufactured in GMP-certified facilities, and every batch is tested multiple times for pesticides, heavy metals, and microbial content at the manufacturer and by SGS Laboratory, a Swiss certification and inspection company. For over 20 years, Blue Poppy has made quality and safety manufacturing standards their biggest priority, resulting in exceptionally effective herbal formulas. Their years of experience provide you with the best possible herbs so your patients have the best possible outcomes. With free shipping and free dropship service on orders over $50, Blue Poppy should be your favorite place to shop for herbs. Use the code CHI2024 to receive 10% off Blue Poppy products on your next order. So, so sometimes the, and, and I've seen this in many cases, the symptom is not the enemy. It, it's often a messenger and it's a really loyal messenger because it's going to stick around until it gets listened to. Right. Yeah. I mean, we can treat the signs and the symptoms or do we treat what caused the signs and the symptoms? Mm-hmm. And that's the goal, isn't it? It's to treat the cause. Yeah. What's next, Michael? Let's go. This often happens when I'm doing one of these interviews. There, there'll, there'll be a moment where there's a kind of a pause because it's like... Let's t- oh, take oh. that one in. <laughs> it, it takes a little time to take some things mm-hmm. in. Yeah. yeah. Can we go a little further down this rabbit hole? Sure. All right. One of the conversations I hear within our community, there's there's people that are like, yeah, I just want to help people feel better and make their pain go away. And there's other people that say things like, well, actually, I don't care about their pain. I just want to, you know, treat their spirit. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and, and those are actually two sides of a continuum. Mm-hmm. Right. right. Mm-hmm. Increasingly, I, in my practice... I'm curious about this spirit aspect. I'm from, and what do I mean by? And, and even it's saying things like spirit aspect, it starts getting kind of woogity here. It's like, what exactly are we talking about? Mm. So when you hear things like spirit aspect, or you say things like spirit aspect, what what are we talking? about? Ah, it's about? your soul. It's the sparkle in your eye. It's your character. It's 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 who you are. On a cellular level, what drives you? What makes you sad? What makes you happy? It's your soul. So it makes your heart beat. So who is this person that's coming in with this musculoskeletal injury? You know, it's a really common, great combination is when I have people coming into my educational program that are Worsley trained five elemental acupuncturists, which is all based on treating the spirit, right? And energetic blocks, freeing up the energetic blocks which can be accomplished in a number of different ways, not just five elemental, but five elemental is really is good. It's good is using five elemental acupuncture with also orthopedic type of acupuncture. That combination is pretty magical because you can change somebody's, we just keep st- sticking with lateral epicondylitis because it's there. We've already been mm-hmm. talking about it. You can change somebody's lateral epicondylitis pain drastically if it's coming from a block, an emotional block. And so if they're going to go and see um, someone who's not 
looking at the Shen or, or treating the Shen, five elementally, Japanese acupuncture, TCM, it doesn't really matter, is that they're not going to get the results until that person is actually able to move through that block energetically, move through life gracefully. Given that the spirit and the body, of course, intimately connected, even the idea of saying there's a mind-body connection predisposes a disconnection, right? I mean, and I think this is hard for us as Westerners who've grown up with these these distinctions that there's a separation between mind-body. One of the beauties of Chinese medicine is there's not that separation. But it seems like it takes a long time to be able to actually feel into what that is, to be able to feel into that unity, to be able to feel into, oh, there's this hole here and I can work on any aspect and connect with every other aspect. I think it takes a while to actually grasp that as a practitioner. It's so much easier to go, I'm working on the elbow or I'm working on uh, the issues with the marriage, you know, whatever. How do you know when to work at which level? I don't. I don't. You can't separate it. Is there, there's obviously going to be priority, right? So, I mean, I'm just throwing a dart with blindfolded. I just try to treat it all. You know, I, I have a little motto is like, fix what you find. Fix what you find. And so if you find that this person is, like, for example, an initial office visit where they're Words that come out of their mouth describing the musculoskeletal injury does not match the Shen expression in their face or their eyes. Mm. That to me is a tall tale sign to be able to start getting that connected because they're disconnected in spirit with that. And so that particular case, the treatment would be, I'm just hypothetically speaking here, mm -hmm, 30, mm -hmm. 40% musculoskeletal because they're coming in for, to my practice for musculoskeletal injury. But then 60% is treating that shen and trying to be able to get that person connected. Because you notice that they're not connected. You notice it's not connected. You know, and, and sometimes I wonder too, is that, you know, you, you apply your acupuncture protocol and your moxibustion protocol and your Chinese medicine as much as possible. And sometimes I, I wonder if it's just the words that you say at the right time is what actually causes the healing. For that so particular you, case. So you've noticed this in your clinic too. Absolutely. Something in the room actually changes, doesn't it? The chi the in the room changes. The chi in the room changes. Yeah, their, their shen as they're laying on the table changes. And you can see that. Mm -hmm. Most people, I feel yeah, it. I think most, I think us energetic workers with acupuncture can really see it and feel it. A practice that, that I've done in the past and I coach my students with is that look at a candle when it's dark. And look at the flames above it. And how far can you be able to take those heat flames? How far can you see the vapors? And so when it gets really quite dark, but you still see little waves of the vapors, apply that to the human body. Mm -hmm. And when the person is laying down and you're putting acupuncture points in, step back and take a look and see if you can be able to see those energetic waves. A lot of times it directs you that, oh, I need to be able to put a point here. Oh, wait. I can see that. I need to be able to put a point here to be able to change the chi of that patient. I love when interviews go in way unexpected directions. <laughs> not that I mean, not that I know what to expect. Here I, comes I, Matt, meat suit Matt. <laughs> <laughs>
when when would you say these sorts of uh, changes started happening for you? What changes? It changes from working, you know, like like Mister. I'm going to uh, needle these motor points and help people's range of motion. To I'm noticing a person's not connected emotionally to the physical pain that they have. Well, I think I've already, I've always seen that aspect of it where there's a little bit of a disconnect between the words the person is saying and, and their expressions that they have, or even look in their eyes. You can see how one eye is going to have um, bright shin and the other eye is dulled. Right. So, um, it's that, that type of person, when you look at him, you like, for example, if you had a three by five card and you cover up one side of the face and you see expression and the other side of the fast face, and it looks really quite dulled that they're usually, there's just too much going on in life for that person right now. So they can't take in anything, but they're still able to give. Mm. That is something I think is really important to be able to treat. Now, as far as when I started that, I think it's always been day one. I've always been a bit of an odd person. I've been told I'm not, I'm definitely not your norm, but I did go through that period of meat suit acupuncture when I was developing a lot of the motor point aspect. Cause when I, motor points were not discussed at all. When I started, it was, it was trigger points. Mm -hmm. So actually putting a stainless steel needle into the motor nerve innervation when I first started doing it, it was met with a lot of skepticism. And then there was also met with, wow, this is great because we are changing people's chi and getting them out of pain and changing range of motion. So, you know, once I started getting popular with that, then I became very um, arrogant, egocentric, myopic, and had five rooms going at the same time, four assistants, and I was basically just doing you know, meat suit acupuncture. And I started getting away from TCM. But what really bugged me is like what we said earlier in this conversation is that there was a, quite a few people that just were not responding. So with age and experiences, there's a seasoning that takes place, mm -hmm. you know, and a desire to be able to help even those really difficult cases. And so... Yeah, the rest we've already talked about. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, it, I, I've noticed in it, it's kind of a curiosity. And this isn't acupuncture. This is just living enough years to notice that often things that are solutions at one point and really helpful become stumbling blocks and things to move beyond at another point. And I find that process is relentlessly unending. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And the more that you have the chi and the passion to continue with it, the better off it is. And my biggest lesson, I think, with during that time is is to become humble because it's not all about me. And the more that I, I made it that way, the more then it was lessons in life that just kicked me in the ass. What really has your attention and interest right now in terms of what draws you in your practice and the things that you're working on and what seems new and interesting and uh, seems to be coming up for you and the work that you're doing. Yeah, well, currently right now, um, what we're developing in the, in the SMAC program is myself and also Brian Lau. Brian Lau is a, a co-teacher with me in the program. And looking at, which a lot of people are looking at now, has become much more, much more popular within the last 15 years is fascia. Um, looking at the fascial and the myofascial planes is actually being part of the answer of what the channel systems are and how the myofascial planes um, have communication from cell to cell to cell. So 
taking that model and applying acupuncture points to local, distal, and adjacent and changing or actually using that as part of the assessment. Like, for example, let's say that somebody has a supraspinatus injury that you're suspecting is a supraspinatus injury and you do Hawkins-Kennedy test or you do painful arc test, is to look at what sinew channels are affected, what channel correspondences are affected as part of the assessment. We still have our assessment hat on. And plug in one or two needles as the person is standing there, then repeat the painful arc test, repeat the Hawkins-Kennedy test to see if it's reduced by sometime 80%. And that gives you an idea of okay, what channels are going to be affected. Mm-hmm. That's part of the assessment. So then looking at then what's going to be the best way of actually treating this particular condition and managing the person's health care from initial office visit all the way back to the tennis court. That just doesn't get boring. I mean, it just doesn't get boring to be able to have this person go back and to their activity of daily living or their sport that drives their spirit, that gives them passion, is really a high for me. I think that's probably going to do that's it. It's a lot today. of information. It's a lot of information. Thank you so much for taking the time here today. You're welcome. We'll go get back to the conference. Uh, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. All right, friends. That's it for this mini-series from the Sports Acupuncture Alliance. Again... A deep bow of appreciation to both the Sports Acupuncture Alliance and Alasa OMS for their dedication to our profession and the support they've provided in bringing you this series. Thanks as always for listening. If you liked this conversation, if you learned something new or found a moment of inspired insight, share the episode with your friends. If you want to support Geological, there's just one way to do that. It's by going to the website and becoming a member or leaving a one-time contribution today. Well, folks, that's it for today. Join us again next Tuesday for another conversation that connects up the voices of our community.